Hey guys, welcome back to another week of Autastic, your comedian's guide to autism. Welcome to the Corona Virus Lockdown Edition number five, maybe? Is this the fifth one we've done I in think lockdown, five. maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I like how... Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, that's all right. I like how you don't know what episode it is during coronavirus because we did a couple episodes where you were half dead. It was a mess, dude. It was, I was yeah. like, oh, that fever had me like on my last two brain cells. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember one time we did it. Yeah. Like it was, it, you asked me last night, you're like, we're going to do a, an episode with uh, a, a roving reporter, uh, Jill Escher episode today, interview. And uh, Kirk was like, did we do this one? I can't remember. It was all a haze. I was like, no, man, we did not do this one. That's right. This is Comedian's so. Guide to Autism. We're two comedians with autism. Not, uh, no. We're two comedians <laughs> with autism in our family is what I meant to say. <laughs> yeah. I have a severely well, autistic brother, they, JJ. both can apply. Yeah, probably. To be honest. You're, you're not wrong. I'm slow, And I'm slowly, in addition to that, I'm slowly going crazy in this lockdown. But uh, yeah, other than that, we're doing it. Tell us about your brother, Pete. Well, we all know about my brother Pete, and we all know about your brother JJ, but or your son, son. JJ. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a he's <laughs> he's a anyway. So my brother's on the middle of the spectrum. Your JJ's on the higher end of the spectrum, or lower end rather. But um, this is a what's coming up. Well, first we'll do a week in review. But it 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 is a this interview with um, Melina Kaufman is is really good because it talks about she talks about all different um uh parts of the spectrum yeah i agree and it's 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 a very helpful interview about uh how to handle increased stress during the lockdown very pertinent we wanted to get that out um because there's lots of useful information in it it's like again it's it's a longer interview but this one is uh i think you guys are going to be locked in the entire time it's it's really really good it's really informative um, did you, did, well, how, how did you, uh, did it apply to you? Did. did you think that there was anything that you could, ha that it could help? It did. AJ? And I want to, I want to, I want to talk about it afterwards. Cause I, I want to comment on it. If that's okay. cool. Let's, let's run this thing. Uh, one more time. I'm Melinda Kaufman. Uh, she's a fellow psych child psychiatrist at Stanford university, a doctor. Here we go. Hey everybody. It's Jill Escher, roving reporter for the autistic podcast. And this is the third in my series with psychiatrists. Um, the psychiatrist we have with us today is Dr. Milena Kaufman. She is a fellow at Stanford University who actually got her start as a behavioral therapist um, at uh, UC Santa Barbara, um, working with the Kegels on pivotal response training. I'm sure some of you know what that is. So she started off before she went to med school in the autism field and then went to med school and is now specializing in psychiatry. And not only that, she's specializing in the field of autism. So she has been a devoted um, autism practitioner for quite a while and she's still quite young. So welcome Dr. Kaufman, we're so happy to have you. Thank you so much, it's a pleasure to, to be here. And today we are going to ask you about your work with autism families during lockdown and during the pandemic. So you have a number of patients who've been experiencing all kinds of stress and difficulty during this very difficult period. And we have a whole audience of, of parents and, and individuals who are really hungry for some advice. 
So I'm wondering if I could start off asking you if you could maybe tell us about some of your patients and the work you've been doing with them to help them during this period. Maybe give sure. us one or two examples. Yes, ab absolutely. And and certainly, you know, it's been a really challenging time, not just for our patients, but truly for all of our families. And so we've been wanting to support as, as best we can. And, and one of the ways I certainly feel uh, very, very hopeful that at least we've had this opportunity for telemedicine, that I'm hoping that, um, you know, listeners out there are hoping that they find ways to be able to connect with either their behaviorist, their therapist, their psychiatrist, kind of whoever are their team members um, through, through virtual uh, options at, at this time. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and start by sharing a, a couple of case examples that hopefully some parents can can kind of relate to, at least maybe in, in parts. Uh, so I'll start with, with one. We'll call him Henry. Henry is a 17-year-old boy. Uh, he has autism. Um, he would be what we would kind of consider um, with milder symptoms on the spectrum. He is verbal. Um, he is a, a uh, participating in school but is in special education um, and some of the other behaviors and symptoms that had brought him to our clinic were anxiety um, as well as some more kind of OCD like behaviors with some repetitive skin excuse me skin picking um, so what has been kind of recently going on um, with with Henry is that parents um, came to our clinic and had been having concerns about obviously this recent transition which has been manifesting itself with a real impact on Henry's sleep. Um, and with poor sleep comes lots of other behaviors, as we know. So as the sleep declined, uh, parents reported that they've seen a worsening in the anxiety, um, and that's been really externalized in worsening skin picking, as well as some of his other repetitive behaviors. So one of the first things that we asked parents is kind of what have they tried so far? Parents know their kids the best and they always kind of educate us as well with some really great ideas. Um, and so far parents had said that, you know, they're working with the school and they were actually able um, to get some of the, the school support through virtual learning as well as through the school uh, counselor. So that was wonderful. And the other piece that they had tried was using kind of as needed melatonin on the nights they felt he was really, really struggling to get sleep. So we went ahead and kind of kind of put our brains together what was available for this family and what options kind of we could help and support them further on. So there was four things that we shared with this family um, that we went ahead and, and uh, kind of came up with as a plan. So one of the first things was focusing on sleep. We really wanted to get his sleep back on track. So what we needed to do is kind of recreate that same school schedule that Henry was able to follow throughout kind of the day where he knew, okay, at, at nine or 10 o'clock, it's time to wind down and, and it's time for bed. So I encourage parents to sit down with Henry um, and be able to create a visual schedule for each day with a set bedtime and then creating a separate schedule around kind of sleep hygiene. What are some of those things he typically did Monday through Friday when he was going out of the house for school um, and really encouraging him to recreate those now around the same time as he was doing them previously when he was leaving the house for school. Uh, number two. So for a teenager to sit down and be given a schedule, especially at a time like this, can in itself be pretty anxiety provoking. So to kind of combat that, we wanted Henry to have 
a, a really important part in creating that schedule for him to feel some sense of control, which I think we're all feeling a little bit less of these days, so that he felt like he got a say um, in some things in his schedule. So allowing Henry to choose, you know, well, when does he do English? When does he do math? It, it doesn't matter to us. So we want Henry to feel like he has some of that control. A teenager um, is a teenager. Yes, absolutely. They still don't like to be told whether it's during coronavirus or not. Um, so giving him back some of that autonomy and control will be really important. And it will help him to want to follow that schedule once it is in place. The third thing is that um, we talked with parents that, um, you know, it's very, very common um, to think about melatonin as an, an as-needed medication, but the evidence that we have actually shows that it's much more effective when we use it daily or nightly in this case. Um, what I mean by that is actually giving it before you're seeing a child or adult struggling to fall asleep. And actually, we recommend giving melatonin um, towards the end of dinner time or around dinner time. We're really trying to kind of um, mimic in some ways kind of our natural melatonin in our bodies, um, which depends on uh, basically the time of day and sunlight versus sundown. Um, and so it'll be much more effective given at that time consistently for at least a two-week period to really be able to help the sleep get back on track. Uh, the fourth thing um, was the concern with some of the increasing skin picking that parents were getting quite concerned about. And certainly, you know, with the increased worry about hygiene, skin picking can definitely understand that being worrisome at this time. Um, this and, like picking his arm or? Yeah, so picking on his arms, picking on his face. Um, basically, once he would start to pick at one area, um, it would scab a little bit, and then it would just encourage further skin picking there. Um, and so there were concerns of potentially those areas getting infected, and then would that mean families would need to go and seek medical care, which we're all kind of trying to, you know, be safe and try to limit going out of the house to kind of for unnecessary medical visits. So it made sense to try to kind of think about what we could do to help with that at this time. So for that, we, we came up with um, a solution that was one based on um, a supplement and the other was an environmental or behavioral solution. So I'll start with that. So one of the kind of things that we think about for any of us is the more we kind of look at something, the more we tend to pay attention to it. Um, so one of the main ways Henry kind of was focusing in on these areas was in the mirror. Um, teenage boy spending time in the bathroom and his bedroom, there's mirrors in those areas. Um, and so we did recommend parents to either go ahead and remove the mirrors if it was possible or to go ahead and cover them to try to just limit how much access Henry was even having to being able to look at those areas. So that was kind of helping to eliminate part of it, but certainly the urge to skin pick was still there. So what we talked with the family was about a supplement um, called N-acetylcysteine, or short for NAP, um, which is an over-the-counter supplement um, that maybe at, at these times might be available, um, you know, might take a little bit longer, but on places like Amazon and other that should be able to deliver it. Um, if not, we've seen it at Whole Foods or, or other places um, that carry any kind of supplements or health food items. Um, and NAC has been a, kind of a, a, 
recent developing um, kind of interest, especially for us here at Stanford, that we've been doing uh, research on to show that it has been helpful to individuals with autism that have these kinds of repetitive behaviors. Um, and we haven't seen a lot of concerns in terms of the side effects, um, aside from a little- oh. This guy, did it? Did so it help? It, did. it absolutely did. So I've had a follow up with them virtually um, and parents have noticed a significant decrease in the scabbing, both on arms um, and his face. And so they are planning to continue to use that, um, at least kind of for this period in time while, while we're still in coronavirus. <laughs> um, and so it's been a really positive impact for, for Henry. Great. Let's move on to another example. Sure. Okay, so that kind of was an example of one of my more kind of higher functioning patients. So I'm going to share um, another patient, uh, we'll call her Mary, who is on the lower end of, of the spectrum. So Mary is a 12-year-old girl uh, with autism. Um, she also has symptoms of anxiety. She has uh, significant aggressive behaviors, um, and she is minimally verbal. Um, so she was seen in our clinic before coronavirus um, had kind of made us all shelter in, in place. Um, and what had initially brought her to the clinic was um, kind of increasing anxiety and aggression that parents were having a harder time kind of managing. And, and as she was getting a little bit older, um, they were having more concerns of kind of what this might look like as she enters teenage years. So with, with Mary's family, um, there was kind of three things that we did a little bit before coronavirus and now kind of while we're in coronavirus. Um, so the first thing when we had met them in our clinic um, was discussing the, the anxiety and the aggression. So often with, with kids with autism, um, aggressive behaviors are very frequently stemming from the anxiety that they're feeling and having minimal ways to cope with that um, and minimal ways to express, oftentimes we see that externalization when they're feeling so frustrated as aggression. Um, and one of the best options we have medication-wise and parents had expressed interest in medications was using an SSRI um, to be able to treat uh, the anxiety. So we had initially started with a medication called Lexapro. Um, and when we had followed up with the family, um, parents had reported that unfortunately that wasn't a good fit. They hadn't noticed any improvement yet. And the, the school had reported that they had noticed that she was feeling a little bit more tired in class. So parents were asking if there was anything different that we could kind of come up with. So we decided to stop the Lexapro and switch to another SSRI. So we, got, we went ahead and picked Zoloft. You know, we often don't know and kind of why kids might or adults might respond to one or another. Um, and sometimes there's a little bit of a kind of thoughtful trial and error um, kind of going with what we have evidence for. So we started her on Zoloft um, and then had our follow-up, which at this point now was during Corona and was virtual. Um, and um, parents had reported um, that they were seeing some improvement, but of course, because everything had kind of uh, turned 180 in Mary's world with coronavirus, um, they were still having significant concerns initially in the first couple weeks about the anxiety and the aggression. And they were asking if there was anything that could help kind of right now, because we had talked with them that the, the Zoloft would take several weeks to be able to help. So 
to help them in the moment and to help Mary kind of deal with this sudden change in her environment, um, we talked to them about using a medication called Atarax or hydroxyzine um, as needed when they really saw Mary feeling extremely overwhelmed or when she was exhibiting significant aggression hitting herself or hitting them. By the way, just incidentally, this yeah. is very similar to what my son's psychiatrist has been recommending okay. for him, exactly the Zoloft with the hydroxyzine as needed. Uh -huh. So, uh, Has it been helping? We haven't started the Zoloft okay. yet. So we've been doing the hydroxyzine and it, it has been helping. Um, okay. But he needs something a little bit more prophylactic, so we're, mm -hmm. we're moving in that direction. <laughs> well, that's, that's wonderful. Um, and yes, exactly like you're sharing, right, the Zoloft is meant to prophylactically prevent the anxiety and the right. aggression, while the Atarax is helping kind of suppress once we start to see it build. So um, we had uh, a four-week follow-up, um, and parents did report that they're noticing that the Zoloft has been helping, and that kind of their best tracking for that is the amount that they've needed to give the Atarax has significantly declined. Um, and they said that in the last week, they had only actually used it once. And prior to that, they were using it daily. Um, so that's that's a really wonderful thing to hear and, and kind of coming up with creative ways for us to, you know, use sometimes in the moment and as needed medications um, to help with transitions like this. Um, so the other piece that, you know, we, we really thought about with Mary was um, a behavioral piece. Um, one of the, the visits, uh, virtually, I was actually able to see how Mary um, was being aggressive with uh, mom um, and pulling at her hair. Uh, during the session. And so one of the recommendations I gave was kind of walking mom through limiting that attention in the moment, which is so, so hard, right? When we, we know that the child is distressed and also, right, there might be physical pain that, you know, we're experiencing. If your hair is being pulled, it's really, really difficult to not give intent, not give that attention. Um, but we know that that can and inadvertently kind of reinforce that behavior. So kind of helping mom through that in the moment. Um, we came up with a plan to that have a sensory kit. Just saying, that has never helped with my son. Just saying. Okay, the sensory kit or not giving attention? The not giving attention part. Oh, okay. Um, well, but I'm yeah, sorry. Other people in my work, so I'm not saying, yeah. Um, what do well, I'm I'm, I'm hoping that for some that it might help over over time, but I'm wondering then has the, having a sensory item ever helped your son if you're able to kind of replace your hair or kind of a physical body part with a sensory item that then they're able to get that same kind of physical aggression out on, but in a safe way. Why do you think he's broken 500 iPads? <laughs> but anyway, okay. move on. Don't listen to my tales of woe. <laughs> go, on, go on with your... Uh, so we, we we did recommend that to mom and kind of having a, a sensory kit, um, either like a small one in the main rooms that they're spending time or kind of making sure to bring it in the room that Mary is spending time. Um, and as much as possible, if the behavior starts of hair pulling, stopping and handing her, um, her preferred item was this stretchy, where she really could do a similar kind of action with her hands instead of pulling mom's hair, could pull on the stretchy. Um, and at, at the next week follow-up, mom said that um, Mary actually was going to the stretchy um, and and mom's hair so so far has been in, in okay shape. So we're not having a sensory that. kit in every room. <laughs> um, 
anyway, so that, go, go. that was kind of what we what we did with Mary, who was um, on kind of the lower on the lower functioning end, and so that's what we're we're continuing now. Parents have the the Adiraks if they need it, and we're continuing to monitor how she does on the Zoloft. Okay, great. Now we're almost done. Those are great examples, and I'm sorry that uh, I didn't mean to get down on <laughs> no treatments, but sometimes it's like, oh gosh, we all tried that stuff. Um, now, uh, if you're, if you just have like five things, like why don't you? We don't have a lot of time, but like, give sure. me five general pieces of advice you would give to an autism parent who's who's struggling to uh, make things work at home. Okay. Um, I think probably my, my top one that I've definitely shared with all parents is making sure to have some form of a visual schedule um, for kids that they can see and be actively involved in and as much as possible maintaining kind of some routine and structure and predictability. I think a lot of the anxiety comes from, you know, I don't know what's happening today and this is not what was supposed to happen and not what I was ready or expecting, but having that predictability I think can significantly ease their anxiety. Using a timer, I think, has also been really important. Um, I recommend the kind of old-fashioned uh, cooking timers, um, the ones that have both sound and a visual, um, especially when transitioning from uh, preferred to non-preferred. Um, and I know technology has been a big stressor for a lot of families, um, so kind of helping to support them with that. Um, one of the, the key things that I, I do recommend is avoiding going off of a laptop or TV to homework and squeezing in something neutral in between like a snack um, because I know parents have shared with me it's very, very hard when they go from the electronics to school um, and kind of understanding, right, you're going from something I love to something I really, really potentially don't love to do. So having something in the middle to help can ease What about physical activities? Absolutely. I think having that structured daily something, uh, you know, I've recommended for parents if they can and feel safe to do a walk um, every day um, with their child. There's also some really great um, kind of supports out there on the internet for, for yoga and, and for some other uh, references that um, one of them is called Cosmic Kids Yoga, which I think is great. The other one is Go Noodle. I definitely encourage parents to, to seek those out. Um, with higher functioning kids on the walks to be able to do something mindful like a scavenger hunt, something that kind of keeps their motivation to want to kind of spend some time outside. Um, mm -hmm. The other piece that kind of thinking ahead that I think will be really important for a lot of kids, especially with sensory sensitivities, we are moving in a direction where it might be that things open up, but we're required to wear masks. Um, so starting to prepare uh, kids for that, um, getting them kind of excited to maybe decorate a mask, pick a mask, starting very slowly with just, oh, let's put it on and off together and then kind of let it go. Then maybe two days later, say, oh, let's wear it for 30 seconds or why don't you put mine on, you know, and tie mine on to help ease them in. Um, potentially, if we do need to be outside with them while wearing masks so that that's not going to cause as much anxiety. Um, hopefully, because um, they've had a, a chance to ease into it. Yeah, that that's great, great idea. Uh, now, the last word, I know that yeah. we were talking about parents' stress, you know, yeah. and the idea that parents are, you know, often they have to do a job from home and do distance learning from home and take care of behaviors at home, and there's so much going on 
And, um, you know, you had said that right now, you know, the, the focus should be on our, our mental and physical well-being. Could we close with something about that? Rather, you yeah. know, what do you tell parents who are stressing out, like just not to worry about it too much? What do you say? Yeah, ab absolutely. I think that the, the most important thing is almost in some ways kind of giving parents that permission saying, it's okay. School is not the priority. Um, your well-being and your child's well-being is the priority. And what potentially they would have done in school in the six-month period, let's say, it is not anywhere as significant as your and their emotional well-being. Because at a time like this, school is not the priority. They will catch up and they will be okay. Right now, it's all about making sure that you as a family are, are doing okay and, and taking off that pressure off yourself as a parent um, that if, if they don't finish that assignment, nothing bad will happen. It is okay. And it kind of just, okay. it is okay. <laughs> and giving that permission and encouraging that permission that it is absolutely okay to not complete that school assignment right now. All right. Well, thank you, Vic, great for the words of wisdom and for sharing your stories and your ideas, Dr. Kaufman. Um, we appreciated having you on Autastic. Thank you and so much. Safe. Okay. Yes, please stay healthy and safe. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, the part I liked, which uh, was uh, <laughs> when she goes, yeah, you want to give him something else. So that to distract him, have you tried that? And then Jill, who's usually very like yeah. demure or whatever, is like, yeah, that's why I bought a thousand iPads, <laughs> yeah. which I could identify with. Yeah. yeah, we have bought. That's the sound of Graham. Jill at another time was like, it just doesn't. That does not work for me. Just so you know, <laughs> it does not work. <laughs> I think we we can just. It you, was a really good conversation because it was she could really speak because um, she has. Jill has two children with autism. She could really speak to uh, to to she was like two parents being interviewing this one this one authoritative figure. Well, and I think her uh, kids are uh, different, right? As far as different different, are you pouring and slurping coffee on the air. Sorry, I was too close to the mic. Sorry, sorry. Graham used to it used to drive Graham bananas when I used to do that little inside baseball guys. I, this guy would eat bananas on air. It would just be like, and it would it would drive I'm him like, slowly crazy. And so I guess it's payback. It's payback. Well, I'm, in, I'm wearing. It's like we're wearing earphones. It's, you're not on the street. You, it, when someone does that, it's like in your brain. Yeah, I have earphones on too. I get. It. <laughs> anyway, I should go back and listen to that that uh, Melinda Kaufman interview again about the sensory part. <laughs> uh, anyway, I was just saying that Jill's got two kids that are on the spectrum that are that have different experiences. So she has a real diverse, a real diverse opinion on it. And uh, I thought I thought that part was great. Mm -hmm. um, I also thought uh, I wrote down some notes yeah. here. I got, I got distracted here. All right, hold on. <laughs> well, I I, I could I I'll I'll. Uh... I'll save you and I'll fill. I'll save me I'll like always, Graham. Here. Yeah. Always, always into my arms. Uh, oh, I got it, it now. It, uh, Peter, um, my brother, Peter, I noticed some. So, like he, P Peter is thriving right now in the in the quarantine. And I think it's because he's naturally doing a lot of things 
that uh, uh, Melinda Kaufman was suggesting. He's very busy. He has taken on a whole new project, which is the model trains, and is completely trains, baby. He spends all day in the basement working on the model trains, and and he's just like has a purpose. And then he's also exercising a lot because now he's living with a dog, so he's walking the dog twice a day because my mother's lazy, and so he. <laughs> it's all right. She doesn't listen my to this mother, podcast. <laughs> No, she doesn't. She, they listen to like the first three episodes. And like, it's too long. You like, talk too much, Graham. You're like, I have world. to talk. It's like <laughs> under half an hour. What podcast is under half an hour? Anyway, um, thanks for telling me uh, how to do a podcast when you've never heard a podcast in your entire life. Anyway, I love my mom. But she does uh, w- always want to get a dog, always wants a dog, and will never walk it once. Uh, but anyway... Uh, it's good for my brother because he's exercising and he has and he's got uh, a project. So. One thing I thought about for your brother that I really liked from the um, the pod was they were like, start working. It made me think of you, Peter. Start working in the idea of a mask. Even if he doesn't wear a mask, start working in the idea. Like, oh, try it on for a right. minute. So oh, here's what it looks Absolutely. like. Look at Spider-Man on the cover or whatever. Like for your, for your brother, I would think I'd make it a Spider-Man mask or whatever. And so mm-hmm. almost like, uh, yeah, it's like I'm Peter Parker, Spider-Man mask. So totally. He would love that. You know, because if you're going to make your own many... cloth mask, yeah, you can make it a superhero one. I know that it's weird to have something on your face for a lot of uh, people with autism, but I know a lot of kids with autism, a lot of men and, and w- uh, women with autism would love, love to play dress up. Yep. An excuse to be wear Spider-Man's mask would be amazing for Peter if he, ha- if it came down to that. Um, I also want to say that I saw something online, and it was a uh, someone, some mother of a child with autism didn't like the mask going around the ears. We did not want anything mm. around their ears, mm. so she sewed on little buttons to her hat. Oh, I like that hat, idea! Like baseball, baseball hat, and then looped it around the hat. Smart. Was I like, like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I, I really liked about the podcast that really spoke to me, like, and I, I hope I hope that the parents get that, is when they said, uh, when she was like, listen, school is not the priority in the sense that it, your sanity is the priority. You know, if the kid doesn't learn as much as they normally would with 16 therapists at school, yeah, they're probably not going to. That's fine. Don't, you know, be, uh, give your, right. cut yourself some slack. You're a human being. Yeah. You're a mom. You're a dad doing your best. And yes. so, yeah, they're not going to learn as not much as they should at home. Is the yeah, priority. Exactly. Your mental yeah. sanity yeah. and getting through this is the priority. So don't beat yeah. yourself up with a, oh, I could have, should have, would have done. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really like that part, too. Mm-hmm. Me, too. I thought it was a great interview. Great. I really, I really enjoyed it. Was it very, gave us some and, very uh, salient and poignant, uh, applicable points that I liked. And what a qualified person. We're so lucky to have Jill. Find these She's a great people. job. Great job. Um, Melinda Kaufman, awesome. Great job, Melinda Kaufman. You're fantastic. Thank you for doing what you do. And thank you very much to Roving Reporter Jill Escher for doing a fantastic job as well. Um, and uh, remember to like and subscribe to this podcast. You can donate to patreon.com slash autastic if you have the means. I uh, got denied my unemployment insurance because a volunteer screwed up my claim uh so if you'd like to donate a dollar um to this uh 
this episode <laughs> that would help me pay my phone bill. Um, Kirk and I both just signed leases on uh, apartments in in New York, which is, uh, I mean, it's probably the cheapest place to live in the world, so it's not that big a deal. But and our time uh, is impeccable. February 1st, I signed. Yes. Boom. What a genius. Yeah, we have great timing, and we <laughs> sign cheap leases in cheap places. Uh, but if you want to donate some money so we can just buy uh, Ramen? frivolous things on Amazon. <laughs> Ram- yeah. yeah. <laughs> Support. If you if you are going uh, if you are going through a rough time too, please don't feel pressure. Do feel pressure, even if you're poor, to like and subscribe somewhere wherever you listen to it. Five stars, and these two idiots make me laugh. Yes, that's free. It would be a great review, and it takes yeah. you two minutes. You can do it on your phone. It takes you a minute, literally. People, come on. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we have a new review uh, since our we have we've had a ninety nine fantastic reviews. On on on, on uh, iTunes, and then the last review is like, Graham stinks. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk, you got to do it yourself. Graham will never get it. He's a bum. So if you could sort of bury that one, guys, that would help. That would be really great, actually. We could get a yeah. yeah we love this podcast. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Uh, Instagram. Yeah. You can have favorites. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Now we're going to get 600 reviews like, Graham's the best. Kurt, go kill yourself. Um. Yeah. Graham fans are strangely ruthless. Oh, it's funny. Guys, all my social media is Kirk Smith Comedy. Please like and share this podcast. Graham, what's your your social? Instagram K on Instagram, Instagram K and Mr. Graham K on Twitter, Graham K on Facebook. Let's be friends. Have a great week, guys. You can do it. Mm-hmm.